Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, where we discuss the people, technology, and finance behind the world's communications networks. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm a writer and editor at Light Reading, and today you're going to hear from Alan Bresnik, the cable and video practice leader at Light Reading, and Mari Silby. Mari is the uh, former Light Reading editor who covered uh, cable tech, video delivery, smart cities, and now she is plying her craft over at US Ignite, where she is the director of communications. Um, so yeah, smart cities. This is about smart cities. This was the recording of a fireside chat at the Cable Next Gen conference that happened uh, March uh, 12th through 14th in Denver. And um, when the uh, Future Today Institute ranked the world's smartest cities in 2018, um, the U.S. had just eight cities in the top 50 and only one city in the top 10. So we keep talking about smart cities because in this regard, the U.S. is in terrible shape. Um, anyone who doesn't live in a coastal city knows what I'm talking about. You don't have seamless 4G connectivity like the carriers promised. Um, there is no hope that 5G is ever going to happen in any meaningful way. There's not a wide availability of public hotspots, and the ones that are there are just terrible with hardly any bandwidth at all. Um, and that's just the connectivity stuff. Don't, you know, the rest of the things that I think of when it comes to a smart city um, are either barely arriving or completely in the uh, PowerPoint stage. Um, I don't see that much tech forward public transit. Um, it's still much easier to do things like Uber and Lyft and things like that. Um, there's not a selection of clean energy options. If there was, I wouldn't know where to find it. Uh, the people who are leaders in technology, uh, the government officials who are interested in science, um, those people don't seem to uh, be moving, uh, you know, to cities in the middle of the country that are uh, banging the drum about uh, being a smart city. Um, government data, it's still hard to find. Most of it's not digitized. If it is digitized, nobody knows where to get it. Um the governments themselves, uh, the city governments, they're not uh, actively, or most of them, let's say, aren't actively staffing offices and working with the private sector to, uh, uh, to use technology and find out what they can learn about their cities, their citizens, their lives, um, and things like that. Uh, they, they don't even seem to be interested in the data that they're already collecting. Um, that there just seems to be a, uh, uh, kind of a, uh, I don't know, just still a lot of talking going on there. And it, it's kind of frustrating because we're racing into, um, this, uh, new world of 5g AR VR and all this stuff. And at the city level, the basic things, uh, the basic services for citizens are roughly the same as they've always been. Um, and yet, um, you know, so I don't live in a smart city. You probably don't either. Um, when we talk to cable companies, MSOs, telcos, um, every time they grab a podium and start talking, they discuss uh, the possibilities, the new business opportunities that are possible with uh, smart cities and how they can uh, use IoT to get new revenue from smart cities and how they can connect new communities and supply new services just to those communities with uh, network slicing and uh, clever things like that. And so there's a great deal of optimism on one side, 
um, and not much action on the other. And uh, I think if you really want to understand why we're talking past one another and just how complex this issue is, I think um, this fireside chat lays out the issue very nicely. Um, so uh, please listen carefully to this interview. Don't forget to follow our coverage on lightreading.com. And now I will turn you over to Alan Bresnik and Marie Silvey. Um, first, we'll start with it, the elementary question, because the smart cities is a term gets, gets lobbed around a lot. What do you see as a smart city? What's the, the, the textbook definition of what is a smart city? Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to uh, sort of introduce kind of, I'm sure most people in this room probably don't know what U.S. Ignite is, so I'll just tell you what that is first, and then I'll, I will actually answer your question. Um, so U.S. Ignite is a nonprofit based out of Washington, D.C., and we work to accelerate the smart city movement specifically by working with the communities themselves as they're trying to deal with this more connected world, by working with the private sector, and that includes network operators, to try to develop a path for commercial growth. Because without the private sector, the public sector most certainly cannot do this by themselves. And we also work to advance the technologies that are going to make smart cities possible in particular things like uh, wireless networking technologies, edge computing, data management, et cetera. So that's kind of what we do, and we do that across uh, a number of different public-private partnership programs. Um, so in answer, to, uh, in answer to Alan's question, um, when I think about smart cities, and certainly when I joined UX Ignite, you know, my, my head and my heart for many years has been on the network connectivity side, and I've been trying to push some of these conversations at light reading as well as to you know, how the cities and the operators need to be thinking differently about uh, the connectivity in their regions in order to better enable some of these new types of applications. But cities don't think about, they, when they think about smart cities, they're not thinking about the connectivity layer per se. They know it's important. They will talk to you about um, what they need to do in terms of getting fiber into their cities. But if you ask them what their priorities are from a, a smart city perspective or what that means to them, that means they're going to get more affordable housing. It means they're going to get transportation to more neighborhoods where people can't get to jobs and can't, uh, can't get to health care and those things. Um, it means doing more with the resources they have, for example, to ensure public safety. So a smart city comes down to having those communications networks because it's important to make all of those things talk to each other and to get the data off of all of those systems. But on the other hand, if you're talking to a city, um, that's, just, that, that's just not the lens through which they view it. And there's going to have to be a little bit coming from each side, from both the, the municipal government side and then also from the private sector network operators, a little bit of coming together in the middle between, hey, here are the objectives we're really trying to solve, and then here's the technology and services and solutions that are going to make that possible. So you mean they don't want to hear about DOCSIS 3.1 or Remote 5? Shockingly. Everybody I tried to, you know, mention DOCSIS 3.1, they just, you know, they, they looked at me and rolled their eyes and walked the other way. Okay. So what are the biggest challenges in, in making smart cities real, in making smart cities smart? There are so many challenges. Um, I would say, first of all, from the, from the networking perspective, this is not the expertise that, that cities have. They don't know how to run networks. They don't think about uh, procuring services in the way that uh, network operators like to sell things. Procurement is a huge, huge issue um, because the, the systems just aren't set up for what's going to need to happen in the future. Um, I also, one of the things I'm always struck by from 
cable and telco folks is they talk about how much, oh, I just saw the graphic, by the way, that's pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, they always talk about the relationships they have on the ground because they are in these different uh, franchise regions. And so they say they've got all of these local relationships. Well, that's true, but they don't have the relationships with the people that are trying to figure out what's the, the next strategic plan for the city, where are things going to innovate. A lot of times those relationships are contentious, you know, you're, you're negotiating those franchise agreements. Um, but it's not even just that, it's also just that those aren't the same people that are thinking the bigger, innovative, entrepreneurial types of ideas about what's going to happen next for these communities. And you can have all the lo local relationships you want, but if you don't have them with the right people, and if you're not listening to what they're saying, and you're not talking to them, and and having that sort of deeper partnership, that's not going to get you very far. It's a, be a real change in the relationship, though, because uh, operators used to have this contentious relationship with municipal officials, not a not a uh, not a partnership relationship. It's a very very different relationship, and I do think that network operators realize that. I mean, putting it into practice is a lot harder. Right. But I'll you know I'll give you an example, and also by the way, my hope is to give you as many sort of takeaways as I can from this, some specific examples, and also some resources you can look at later, because I know this isn't a topic that uh, falls right in line with coherent optics and uh, full duplex and all of that. Um, but I'll give you one example of, uh, of a network operator that's, that's doing a good job of kind of moving the, the conversation a bit. So Cox Communications down in the Phoenix area has done a very good job of, uh, and, and they are part of a US Ignite um, program called Smart Gigabit Communities. And I say that it, it's a, a pitch for US Ignite, but it's also, it wouldn't have to be US Ignite. It could be another third party nonprofit. It could be a university. It could be an entrepreneurial accelerator group. But what Cox has done is they've gone into Phoenix, they've partnered with us as we've created a, a steering group and an ecosystem down there to figure out what are the next steps that that, that area needs to take. Um, and in our program, the way that we do that is when a city commits to our program, they agree that they're going to produce, they commit to producing at least two applications per year that take advantage of advanced networks. So something that either needs lots of capacity or low latency or all the things that we've been talking about today. They have to produce two, two applications that we can then add to our big catalog of what's really smart city applications. That's the stated deliverable and the goal, but the real, the real outcome, the real benefit that comes out of this is the, the process that gets put in place because we go in and put in a steering committee which includes local government leaders, the people that are actually making some of these decisions. It includes the, the university, the research folks that are you know, building some of the new technologies. It includes the startup community and the entrepreneurial sector. And in the case of Phoenix, it includes Cox. Um, so that has really changed the conversation for Cox. And you know, I, I will say I have talked to them very specifically about what that has meant to uh, their business and the contracts that they're developing down in that area. What cities are, besides Phoenix, what other cities are being really smart about smart cities? Yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot. I mean, there's still a lot that, uh, that these cities are trying to figure out. One that I want to mention uh, is San Jose. 
And if anybody followed, um, like I did, the Broadband Deployment Advisory Committee last year, I spent way too many hours of my life uh, at the FCC listening to these committee meetings. Um, San Jose was a very contentious partner, committee member, um, because they were one of the few cities' representatives that were on this panel. Um, and what the, what the committee was all about was trying to figure out what's the, what's, what's the model code to go forward with, uh, with small cells. As you know, a lot of contention between the cities and the industry on this one. Um, but what I learned about San Jose, so, so they, they left this committee. Um, they were very frustrated with the process. They went out on their own, and they set up um, small cell agreements with AT&T and with Verizon and with Mobilite, which is uh, a wholesaler for Sprint, essentially, or, or a reseller for Sprint. Sorry, goes in and buys those small cell agreements for Sprint. Um, they set up these, uh, these agreements with the operators, and they did it in such a way that it was uh, beneficial to both sides, although the AT&T and Verizon will now say, well, but this isn't going to work everywhere. There's reasons for that. Um, but they went ahead and, and set up these, um, these agreements where the, they made it easier for the operators to come into their city, um, but at the same time, and, and they gave them bulk small cell agreements and streamlined the permitting process and all that, um, but at the same time, the operators had to uh, contribute to a digital inclusion fund that would then let the city of San Jose decide how to use that money to go out and make sure that there was equitable connectivity across the region. I say that really as a prelude to the other stuff that San Jose is doing or the way that they're looking at connectivity and being a smart city, because that piece does have its contentious side. But what San Jose has looked at is they stepped back and they said, what's really going to make the most sense? Do we want to try to handle all of this on our own? Do we want to try to be like, you know, do publicly owned networks and try to manage and orchestrate all of this ourselves? Do we want to hand it all over to the private sector? They decided that the first um, was too expensive and the second was too risky and they had to go with a hybrid model. And their way of going about doing a hybrid model was they said, how much money and what intervention do we need to do to incent the private sector to come in and start building some momentum around connectivity, but also then the things that we can build on top of connectivity. So they specifically, I think they invested like $2 billion. Um, and then they also aligned their decision-making processes with the telco uh, CapEx uh, cycles. Um, and then, and then they also use their, their assets, so the, the poles that they own. But they did all of these things. They, they really did the calculation of outlining what can we contribute on the public side that will then get the private sector to come in and, and do a lot of the legwork because we've made it relatively easy for them to do that, and there will be revenue that comes from that. They are also already thinking about, as they're looking at IoT and making, um, doing smart applications on all of this connectivity, they're starting to think about what those connectivity layers look like. So they know there's the retail broadband. They know there is sort of the, the traffic management type, the, um, the dedicated uh, sensor-driven technology connectivity. Um, and then there's the super sort of high-end advanced networking that's going to require those super high capacity and low latency networks. So they're thinking through, you know, where they need different layers of connectivity for different types of applications and services, and how does that apply to the things that they want to accomplish.
Okay. Well, that leads into my last question, can, which is, can network operators really make much money in smart cities? It's, you know, I, I, it's not that anybody has figured out the, 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 sil the silver bullet, again. Um, the two things I would say is that the connectivity is, you know, whether or not you call it as part of a smart city initiative, but figuring out how to work with the communities to make sure they've got those, those underlying networks is critical, and they know it even though they have a hard time prioritizing it. Um, and then as far as the, making the, the smart city applications, um, you, you've got to get into some of those discussions, um, again, at a different layer, um, because you can't just go in and try to sell a platform, which I know that's, you know, that's definitely becoming a thing. Everybody's got a platform solution. The, uh, the city folks, they, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> they don't want to, they don't want to buy your platform. They don't necessarily trust you. They're worried they're going to get locked in, even if you tell them that it's open. Um, but if you, it really is a relationship game. So if you build that, that relationship, you build it around the connectivity, you build it around the, the innovative and the entrepreneurial uh, ecosystems that are starting to develop, um, then you have the chance to start getting in the door to talk about what those new services are that will actually make money. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to change. So if you can get in there and figure out how to solve problems, as always, that's where the money is. Okay. Well, thanks. Um, Mari will be around in case somebody wants to ask us some questions later on, but we're going to move on to our next panel. So uh, please join me in thanking Mari, making her triumphant return to a light reading. <laughs>